friends, and welcome to the Montessori mission. 10 Montessorians, 10 questions, and 10 perspectives from 10 different communities. Here today for episode seven, I have the wonderful Pilar Bewley with me from mainly Montessori. And any of you who follow me on Instagram and who follow my IGTVs, my Top Tip Tuesday on a Tuesday evening, will recognize Pilar as a familiar face as she has been so kind to be a regular guest talking to us about the elementary child and understanding the intricacies of moving from the first plane to the second plane. And she's been such a huge support for me um, as a friend and also as a colleague, as a Montessorian, um, to sort of work out this new stage with Olivia and um, also just work out the, the intricacies of life as well, not only as a Montessorian, but just the, just the, the ebb and flow of life in general. Um, Pilar is just so calm. Um, she's a really good person to talk to. So if you don't know Pilar, let me introduce her first of all. Um, she is a three to six um, and a six to 12 uh, Montessori guide, AMI guide. And so that is um, primary and elementary. She firstly, I believe, did a master's in Montessori education and she was a Montessori child who rediscovered the joy and beauty of Montessori when she was 30. Um, what else can I say? She's also a positive discipline um, educator, that's for the classroom and for families at home. And um, she has an incredible resource on mainlymontessori.com called the um, Homeschooling Hub. And actually to let you on, uh, let you all in on a secret, this summer I participated in Pilar's um, Homeschooling Hub retreat. Um, over the summer, it was an eight week um, course and we had our weekly Zoom calls, there was videos, there was homework, there was downloadables. And even though I'm not a homeschooler, my children are in a fantastic um, Montessori school here in Dubai. Um, I found the resources within the hub and on the course to be of such value, whether or not you're homeschooling and actually whether or not you are your children are in a Montessori setting, or even if you know anything about Montessori, because it was the, the information was given was of such value and so universal just to children. It, you don't need to be a Montessorian or to be practicing in a Montessori school to be able to take value from it. And that's what I found was really, really enriching from it. There was so much richness and the, the calls were brilliant because everyone always asked a question that you had in the back of your mind but couldn't find the right words to to get out and ask on on the live on screen so it was just it was a really really wonderful experience so if you have the opportunity to do one of pilar's courses i would really really recommend doing so it was um it was really really great and gave me so much um so many insights on of how i can make my home even more accessible to my children you know um not necessarily physically because they're four and six now and they can do most of their own things but mainly sort of emotionally you know how can i set things up for them in a way that they can succeed emotionally so that they can express themselves in a more effective way so i can express myself in a way that's more loving and more kind and um in a way that's going to speak to them um more powerfully so um thank you Pilar. it just it was a really really great experience this summer um and thank you for joining me today 
Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me and for that lovely introduction. I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be here. I love how we've connected across the oceans halfway around the yeah. world. Um, and uh, this opportunity is just so dear to my heart. So I'm, I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for coming on. It's And I can't wait to hear with your experience as a Montessori child and all your classroom experience and homeschooling experience. Um, you know, um, also for anyone who, who isn't aware, who's watching Pilar, um, homeschools uh, both of her children um, who are both in the second plane. So between the ages of six and 12, um, I think one's six and one's nine, that's right. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so um, Pilar has got such a unique um, perspective to share with us of, of a lot of classroom experience and then three years homeschool experience as well. Is this is, right? yeah, we're going into our fourth yeah. year this year. Going into the fourth year. So um, it's for, for a sort of well-rounded um, view of what Montessori can look like, you know, um, Pilar is going gonna, is gonna to give us that today. So I'm really, really thrilled that she's here. Um, thank you so much. And shall we dive in? If, yes, if you both feel ready, yeah, I feel, I feel ready. So for question one of the Montessori mission, um, Pilar, I would love to know, um, what does Montessori mean to you? Well, it, it, it's meant a lot of things over the years, but what I come back to is that it is a way of knowing myself and of knowing children. Of, of understanding who I am, how I respond, how I see the world, but also understanding the path that my children are walking. Um, and I think that we get so many conflicting messages from the outside world, from, from society as to what children should be doing, what parents should be, yeah. how parents should be acting. Um, and what Montessori gives me is a is the freedom and the trust to say what you need to know is already inside you you just need to find it from inside yourself and what you and what your children need is already inside them right mm -hmm. and 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 that's what i think dr montessori discovered when she was observing the children and you know that's one of the reasons that she speaks about the secret of childhood is that children already have that inside of them that will guide their development. And so to me, that's the core of Montessori. And it never ends because, you know, you're always growing and evolving and your children are too. So, so it just wow. never ends. It just kind of builds on each stage of growth. Yeah. That's so wonderful and so true. It's it's this spiral, isn't it? Like a, our knowledge starts here and then sort of every year or six months or whatever the cycle is, we kind of go deeper on it. We, we sort of understand it in a slightly different perspective. I can't really explain it, but you know what I mean? You kind of, the same thing comes around, but you understand it on a, on a, on a deeper level or a, or a richer level or, or something like that something like that that happens isn't it with our own self-knowledge and then our knowledge about our children and um as you say dr montessori just the gift she gave us was was telling us to trust our inner wisdom or accessing our, our inner wisdom 
Exactly. Exactly. And I think the the spiral curriculum, um, you know, like the spiral that you say that that spiral curriculum where where you're able to put the children back in touch with the same concepts, but at a more abstract and more complex level, that's kind of a micro reflection of our greater experience as human beings, where we kind of go back to the same um, experiences, right? Or or the same, um, we follow a path, but each time we're able to bring our prior experiences to it. And so we see it with new eyes, just like an, an older child will see the same topic with new eyes the more we work with children and the more we work on ourselves, the more we see them and we see ourselves with, with new eyes, right? Because we bring those experiences with us. So, so it's, that's what I love about Montessori that it's very reflective of the human experience. Yeah, exactly. It goes way beyond math and language. Yeah. It's funny because we were speaking before we started the recording, weren't we, about actually personal growth and intense periods of growth. And and we said exactly what it is. Whenever we're going through something, it's the universe is or whoever is sort of presenting us this. This is our cosmic plan. and, and, And it's for us to either resolve it or at least go into it a little bit deeper and understand it from a different perspective, a different dimension that's been added to it now. And, um, as you said, that's the same for us. It's the same for our children. It's the same for everyone, isn't it? it you know, we we have our path um, to travel, and and I think as as parents, Montessori parents, we it gives us that trust to allow our children to open in that way. I guess rather than as you said, there's so much pressure of what's going on outside, but. Montessori hopefully gives us his gift of every time coming back to, okay, what is, what does my child need in this moment? I know that you've said we need A, B, and C, or society says you need to do D, E, and F, but actually what, if I can see my child, I know what she or, or he needs in this moment. Um, that's yes, gift. absolutely. The, the, the trust um, <clears throat> that Montessori allows you to have in your child is yeah. really powerful, but also the trust that Montessori allows you to have in yourself. Like to me, that is the, the, one of my, my main uh, missions is helping adults trust themselves because most of us were not trusted when we were little and, you know, through no fault of our parents, right. They were also just, you know, victims of a system. Um, But if we can be the cycle breakers, I, you know, that could be so powerful and Montessori allows us to be the cycle breakers because it allows you to know that you're not alone, right? Mm -hmm. That you're working with your child's inner development. You, you have a partner in this. And so when you start trusting that you're not alone, then you're better able to trust yourself because if you see that your child has an inner drive, right? then you start understanding that you do too. You start understanding that you have a, a, an instinct and an awareness that you need to quiet all of those external voices. And then when you do the truth of, you know, who you are in that connection between you and the child becomes more evident. 
and, and Montessori allows you to do that. It kind of gives you a framework to say, you know, here's, here's how to do it. Yeah. So it's so powerful. It's, Lovely, it's, yeah. it's comes it's back so to remarkable every time, doesn't it? The connection every single time. Like, it does. Yeah. It's all about In a time connection. before, um, we knew what we know now about neuroscience and, and the importance of connection rather than correction and the, and the old school method of discipline. You know, she was such a visionary in what she was saying um, with rewards and punishments. Um, and it's so funny that when we're in this Montessori world for, for an extended period of time, we forget actually that the rest of the world isn't like how we do things it's a real shock to me that when i when someone says that oh they got their child a sticker a sticker chart to like eat their broccoli or something and i'm just like really does anyone do that anymore you know yes. i like kind of that makes me think of like the 1980s but actually no it's, it's still quite still. prevalent actually yes and, and, and in schools you know uh, there's some mainstream schools that still practice you know like certificate for being kind for example or you know which is just the worst <laughs> uh, the worst thing to to do something extrinsic for something that's come from the internal motivation of the child is just like screwing everything up, isn't it? But it's so funny to um, to observe it, isn't it? And then we think, okay, there we can make a difference and it just allows our child to blossom and we can blossom as well. Yeah, so yeah and I'm, I'm glad that you said, you know, when, when you were talking about the retreat that we did this summer, um, how it's, you know, it's really not about, you know, if you want to homeschool with Montessori or if you're sending your child to, to a Montessori school, Montessori is or should be for everyone, right? It should just be a birthright for parents and children to have this knowledge and don't yeah. call it Montessori. She never wanted it to be called the Montessori yeah. method, yeah. right? So don't call it that. Just, you know, have the information out there. Yeah, so true. Yeah, that's what, and that's what our mission is, isn't it? With all the work exactly. we do to just like, um, someone in the, uh, one of the previous podcasts, I can't remember who it was, um, I think it was episode six, Aziza said about um, democratizing Montessori. And that's really what it, what it is, isn't it? Like making it truly accessible. You know, when we think of the refugee experience, for example, um, and underprivileged areas and really getting it in, in a place to the people who need it the most, that's like, as you say, it should be everyone's birthright. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on to? Oh, this is going to be a really great one because you're a Montessori child as well. Um, question two, please fill out. What was your first light bulb moment on your Montessori journey? Hmm. Well, I, I would love to say that, you know, it was when, when I was a child, but to me, like Montessori was just what I knew, right? So it, it wasn't yeah. anything. Uh, you know, transcendent in my childhood. I didn't know that other children went to schools that where children weren't respected and where, you know, children with learning differences were treated like everybody else. Um, to me, it was just normal. But what really led me back to Montessori, well, actually, like what really convinced me that Montessori was the path was during my first observation. So I arrived back to the Montessori world, not really even knowing why I was there. Um, you know, I, I was 30 and I had a successful uh, wedding planning business. I was yeah. making a lot of money, but I wasn't 
feeling like I was contributing to the yeah. world in a way that I wanted to, right. As a Montessori child, you know, that you, you kind of yeah. have this in you that, that awesome. yeah. you, yeah, that you want to, to give back right to the world. And so I, I sat down to meditate and just kind of put out this question, what should I do with, with my life? Um, mm -hmm. and, and a voice came to me and said, uh, you need to work with children. And I remember opening my eyes and being like, wait a second, I don't even really like children. You know, I, I was, I mean, I knew I wanted to have children. Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to have children, but I, right. I, I, I saw children like the world sees children, like most mm -hmm. of the developed yeah. world sees yeah. children, right? They're, they're loud, they're obnoxious, they're rude, they're messy. Um, and so I thought, why would I want to work with children? But, but this voice wouldn't leave me alone. And so I talked to my husband who was in my, my uh, fiance and he said, well, you know, you always talk about your childhood in Montessori and, and uh, so why don't you start there? So I found the AMI training center was across the street from his house. I, which was, you know, the first sign. And so I went to talk to the director and it turns out the director was from Mexico city and her daughter and I had gone to high school together. No, um, Yes. It was crazy. And what? so crazy. It was, it was wild. It was wild. So I was like, okay, I, you know, let me join this course. And it was like right before the course started a couple of weeks before it started. And so I joined honestly, not even knowing why I was there. You know, I just, I was still running my business. I was just there to kind of learn yeah. and see what happened. And when you're doing your training, you do observations, right? You sit down and you watch the children working and you try to see them with the eyes of a scientist, just objectively yeah. without jumping to any conclusions. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was observing this little girl who was four. And she was sitting down working on with a metal inset. And then when she was done, she stood up and she put all her materials on a tray and she very carefully took the tray and returned all the materials to the shelf. And, you know, now I say it and, and I, I realize like, yeah, all children are, are capable of doing that. But when I saw that for the first time, her composure, her poise, her self-discipline at the age of four, this tiny child, it blew me away. It mm -hmm. allowed me to see what children, children were truly capable of and how misinterpreted their behaviors are, how, how yeah. little uh, value we place on their development, on their potential, right? And and so to me, that was my aha moment, my light bulb moment that led me down the path. And, you know, I'm not going to say obviously that it's all been, been, you know, puppies and unicorns, um, <laughs> because we have conditioning, right? We, we have a lot of conditioning. I had, you know, 30 some years of conditioning that I had to work through, but I, I've never forgotten this little child and, and the impact that she had on my life. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And four-year-olds are so powerful in that way, aren't they? Because they are such, I see that with Harry, my son, who's four, and that sense of uh, 
order and that sense of precision and needing everything to be sorry absolutely perfect in that way is um is so powerful and you see that that inner that inner drive um and there's something about four-year-olds that are just yeah it's it's magnetic um to watch yeah. isn't it yeah they, they so really I, are it's like they're coming it, into their yeah. own you yeah. know they're they're coming into their body they're realizing their potential um yeah. you know dr montessori said the first 3 years the child is is an unconscious creator right and then um around the age of 3 they become this conscious worker and so at the age of 4 all of that is is really solidifying um and they're they're at the uh like the, the the pinnacle of the first plane right yeah. the the second plane tendencies aren't coming in yet uh yeah. but the first plane tendencies are are so well developed at that point and i think that's what makes them so powerful they have yeah. you know they have a drive to work they have this absorbent mind um yeah. you know they're, they're, they're so right capable. in the middle they're so capable and they're and right they, in the middle of do, all their he can do all the things that i can do he's just yeah. a smaller person like he can cook a meal he can put the washing on he can do the ironing he, he he's in the workshop sawing pieces of wood and hammering and he's mending the hoover when it broke and he changed a fuse in the fan the other day when it blew like he can do the things an adult can do but he's just miniature and it's like it's mad as you said and i love how you said that the pinnacle of the first plane yeah that's amazing yeah, they really are. And if you look at the sensitive yeah. periods, right, you know how they, you know, some of them start yeah. at two and end at six and everything. At four, they're right smack in the middle of all the sensitive periods for the first plane. So it's, it's this remarkable period of, of growth. Um, and I think with it comes a lot of frustration if they're not given that mm. space and that ability to express themselves. Um, and so that's where, you know, a lot of the misconceptions yeah. lie, yeah. Uh, you know, and so, so that's and where this the, thing you know, the impulse control isn't quite there yet. Like with Harry, he's very, very physical. And so he'll come and give you a bear hug and knock you to the ground and stuff like that. So he, cause his impulse control isn't there yet. So yeah, it's really easy to, you know, as you say, misunderstand what's going on, you know, but then when you see him doing all these other amazing things, you're like, actually, no, this is. This is what's happening. Um, I shared a, 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 on my stories a couple of weeks ago, about well, last week, when they're preparing for, to go back to school next week, and um, and they wanted to count all their socks. So Harry lined up all of his socks in pairs on the floor. Olivia, second plane child, just literally emptied the whole drawer onto the floor, <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh, I've got enough," and then just put them back in again. And Harry like laid. I think it was like. Uh, nine pairs of socks like pre in precision like it was just so funny to see uh, to see how what he was like I mean he's very precise anyway much more than Olivia ever was mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's just um uh, as you say just when we observe them we just we just get it when we observe them yeah. we just we just get it don't we yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I think we don't get it well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there, there has to be an education for adults, right? People have to know what to look for, right? You cannot, you cannot look for, you cannot see something that you don't know is, is there. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where the education piece lies. And the, the humility has to be there yeah. on the part of the adult to say, I don't know everything about this, this mm -hmm. child in front of me. 
you know, and, and I want to, I want to learn, I want to be able to support them. And therefore I'm going to educate myself on, on what they're truly capable of. And once you do, it just becomes so enjoyable, doesn't it? It just, it just becomes fun to see like, oh yes, there's that tendency to, you know, for, for, for perfection or, you know, there's, there's that, that need to communicate. Um, and so when you know what you're looking at, you're much better able to understand those impulses that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you. And, um, so question three, um, please, um, in what ways does Montessori enrich the work that you do? Oh, goodness. It's my whole life. You know, it's, it, I, I was, when I was reading your questions, I was thinking like how Montessori influences what I do. And I don't think that there's an area of my life that hasn't been touched by it. Um, but in, in general, it's really allowed me to have a friendliness with error. Right. And, and I'm very much a person that likes to create new things that likes to start projects and, and get out there. And I don't know everything when I start. Um, and so I think Montessori allows us to have that beginner mind of, of just taking on new ventures and being okay with making mistakes and yeah. honoring mistakes as opportunities for, for learning. Right. I love your cat. So <laughs> It's just so great. (laughs) Um, And one thing that that Montessori has really done for me is that it it rekindled my love of learning because I I went to a traditional school when I was in the fourth grade. There were no elementary schools in the city where I moved to. And so I went to a traditional school as of the fourth grade. And I always enjoyed school and it was fine, but, yeah. but I definitely fell prey to the model of, you know, you have to learn this because it's on the test and because you need to get into college and, you know, and everything is kind of an mm-hmm. extrinsic goal, right? There's like, yeah. you learn for the sake of moving to the next stage, not just for the joy yeah. of learning. And when I took my, especially my elementary training in Italy, it was, it was for me, it was, it was rediscovering just the joy of learning for its own sake. And so, for example, I, I, I would just move to a, to a new house out in the country and we have a bunch of different trees. And so when we got here, my first drive was to identify all the trees. I just wanted to know what they were, what their scientific name was and you know how how they reproduced and and uh, and it was just just for the sake of knowing, just for the sake of learning. There was no test. <laughs> there was no, you know, it was just for the sake of of learning. And in my work with parents, I find that some parents are able to rediscover that when they're homeschooling. Right. And, and I love that about Montessori that it, it really brings people back to the core of learning just for the joy of it. I think the last thing that comes to mind right now is, is really planting the seeds, right. in in elementary classrooms, or, you know, when you work with elementary children, the idea is not that you are teaching 
for them to memorize and regurgitate. What you're doing is you're, you're scattering, you're broadcasting seeds of knowledge of culture and you are trusting, right? Going back to that, that idea of trust, you're trusting that they're going to take hold in the child's mind and that the right ones, the ones that the child needs are going to start to grow. Um, and sometimes that growth happens immediately. Sometimes the growth happens into the adolescent years, um, but that's not for us to determine, right? And the same thing I've found applies to my work with parents because when I first started sharing and, and you know, recording and, and creating everything that I do, I was really concerned about whether or not the parents were going to understand what I was saying, whether it was going to make sense, um, and whether it was going to work for them. And I realized that I cannot control that. Just like I, I cannot control what the children learn. I cannot control what the parents learn. And so my approach has shifted towards broadcasting seeds, broadcasting my experience, the wisdom that the children have shared with me over the years and, you know, sharing it, you know, paying it forward and trusting that what each parent needs is what they're going to take. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's, and it's worked really well in terms of like, it's, it's released me from the pressure of being perfect, you know, going back to that friendliness with error. Um, and it's also allowed parents to just take what resonates with them at that particular point in time and not feel pressured about understanding everything perfectly the first time. I love that. I love that analogy about the seeds and not um, not having the need to check up on them, but just trusting that we we have planted them and like we don't plant something in the winter and then dig it up every two weeks to see what's going on. We just trust that in April or early May, then something's going to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We we're not we don't have to check up but as you said you know from the beginning it's all about trust trusting that we are enough trusting that our children are enough and we are all on this cosmic path and whatever will is the right thing will reveal itself to us or to the child as long as we can get out the way and just yes. <laughs> just allow just trust yeah. whatever to come forth yeah I love that. I love the analogy of the seeds. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. I think with parents, I love it. Good. Good. I hope so. Um, So question four, please, Bilal, when was the first time a child taught you something about yourself that you didn't know? And that might have been a direct interaction or just from an observation. The first time a child taught you something about yourself that you didn't know. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I always thought that when I finished my training, right, my primary training that, you know, that I would be prepared and that I would be, uh, you know, ready to, to, to be a teacher, right? Because you come in with so much kind of ego, right? Um, And my first year as a primary guide was the most, you know, tremendous kick in the butt, you know, ever. Um, and those children bless their hearts. You know, they had to deal with a brand new guide who'd never, uh, never even worked with children before. So it was such a learning journey for all of us. And I don't know if this 
this uh, anecdote that I'm going to share is, is like, you know, truly the first time because it, when you're in, when you're in a classroom, the children are reflecting back to you every yeah. single moment, the things that you yeah. have to work on. And, you know, if you're open to seeing it, it's just, I, I used to say that, you know, I, I don't go to church because working with children is my spiritual practice, right? They are, they, they reflect, yeah, they reflect back to you everything. They are, they are your spiritual gurus. Um, but there was this, this one incident that, that really broke me. So I was working at a school that was, the director had a lot of pressure from, from the parents, from the investors. Uh, and so, and from herself to, you know, to create kind of this, you know, perfect Montessori environment. And so there was a lot of pressure from the top towards the teachers. And what happens in schools like that is that the pressure from the top goes to the teachers. And then the teachers obviously unconsciously deflect it towards the students, right? Yes. It's, it, it's, it's just human nature to yeah. do that. Yeah. And especially if you're a new guide and you don't have the, the spiritual grounding yet. Yeah. And, so, and so the children bear the brunt of it and they have nobody to deflect it to. Right. And, and there's such, you know, just kind of such pure and raw little spiritual beings that, that they, they take that on. And I had a student, she was four again, you know, these, these four-year-old miraculous mm. beings, she was four and she made a drawing, um, at home and she brought it to school. And she said, I made a, a drawing of the school. And I looked at the drawing, expecting it to be, you know, all flowers and sunshine and beautiful. And it was this, this building and the, there was a child inside a barred window, right? And there was a, like a, a bubble coming out of the window and it just said, no, 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 no. And I, it, it, I oh my saw goodness. that and it broke my heart because in that one drawing was reflected my approach to trying to create the classroom that I thought I had to have, right. That, that it had to look like a certain way, but instead of going at, going about it in a positive way, right. Creating the conditions that would allow for normalization to happen for, for peaceful, joyful environment to happen. I was saying, no, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other. And it had turned into this classroom of no's and this child through her drawing allowed me to see that. And it just like, it just transformed everything inside me. Like it broke everything inside of me. Like I had to, I had to apologize to her, to myself, like yeah. allow, allow the guilt to come through and mm. um, allow, you know, friendliness with error to come through and, yeah. and to really understand that we're not going to get to where we want to go by, by saying no to everything, right. By, by removing everything we don't want. Um, but instead by encouraging what we do want. Um, and so that child was kind of the, uh, catalyst for a lot of growth. And, uh, and she was four, you know, and, 
and, and story. yeah, yeah. And, and from then there's been, you know, countless examples, yeah. just countless every day. These children are, yeah. are, are transforming us and, yeah. and leading the way. Yeah. I love that story. Wow. <laughs> as you say how heartbreaking and also in your first year as well because I remember my first year and it was a disaster you know because as you say you kind of rock up all puffed up thinking you know what to what oh my goodness we know nothing about anything exactly exactly (laughs) exactly and and it's you know it's it's one of those things where where you think like, you know, I don't want my child to have a first year guide. Um, but at the same time, you know, every first year guide has to have, has to start somewhere. Right. And so has to start with a group of children. And so, um, it's, it's really difficult, right. It's, and, and I think, I think there needs to be so much more mentorship of first and second year guides and, Mm -hmm. and so much more guidance and, uh, there's so much that, that needs to change, but, uh, yeah, but putting a guide in at the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's cruel for everyone. Um, you know, and doesn't set anybody up for success, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I think there, there, there has to be a better way to do it. Um, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of that actually. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I thought it was just me that had a nightmare in their first no. year. No, everyone. And, you know, my, my son had a first year guide. I am in his first year of primary yeah. and it created a lot of trauma that still, we're still working through. And, wow. you know, and, and I was angry at that guide and at that school for, for a long time until I remembered that I, you know, I was a first year guide too, and I made many mistakes too. And, uh, so it's one of those things where it's like, uh, what do you do? You know, everybody, everybody needs to start somewhere, but yeah. the importance of mentorship cannot be understated. Yeah. 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 That's such a good point. I feel like you might be a visionary for that. Pilar. I think you would be such a good person to sort of take that forward, the mentorship. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I don't know. I have, I have, um, I, I struggle with the, the, the associations and the bureaucracy within them. Mm. Um, and I, I think some schools do brilliantly in terms of mentoring their guides and, yes. um, you know, other schools are still, are, are still, yeah working towards understanding the importance of that. So I don't know, we'll see. It might be a path yeah. for the future. I guess some schools, the main difference would be some schools remember what it's like and some schools don't remember what it's like, basically. The principal either remembers or doesn't remember how hard it was in the first year. And that basically will will, will fill, trickle down to the, to the experience that the first year guide has. So yes. will, the experience that he, the sorry, the support that she or he will need, you know, in that classroom in that first mm. year, yeah. If Very we remember true. how painful it was, then we're more likely to, 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 to offer, offer support or mentorship, aren't we? Yeah. Exactly. Very good point. Very wow. Good point. I love, um, I love that story. Oh my goodness, the no, no, no. Oh, 
Okay. I hope that my your answer to question five isn't as, as painful as the answer <laughs> to question four. So question five is, when was the last time a child taught you something about yourself that you oh. didn't know? Yes. Oh, well, you know, my children, now they are my, my guiding lights. And um, so I, I, I currently find myself in a, a situation where, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on social media because that is where my business lies. And that is where my clientele lies, where, you know, the work that I do with parents, I'm, it's all on social media. And, um, you know, and, and to be honest, I also use social media, you know, to get news and, and to get all that. And I use social media sometimes to escape, right? I think a lot of us do. Um, we just kind of, when, when the world becomes too burdensome, we just tune out. Um, and my daughter who's six is just kind of emerging into reading. And I had been curious why, you know, my son is an avid voracious reader and, and was from the time he was five or six. And I had been curious to why she hadn't really gravitated towards mm -hmm. books. She likes read alouds, but, but she's, she's never been really curious about books and she can't really sit through a book. And, um, and then the other day I found a book for me that that I've been completely engrossed in. Right. And so I was sitting at the dining room table reading it. Um, and my daughter looked at me and then she walked over to her little basket of beginner readers and she pulled out her book and she came and she sat beside me. And that was the first time that she had done that. Oh. And, and I started thinking like, well, this is really like the first time in a long time that she has seen me reading a book, like a physical book. Yeah. Right. She doesn't know that I'm on social media and I'm, I'm reading or I'm, you know, yeah. you know, she doesn't know that she just sees me doing this. Right. And, and so I was like, oh, <laughs> modeling, right. It all goes back to they're learning from us. They're learning from what we do. They want to be like us and we need to be constantly aware of, of how our behavior, the messages that our behaviors are sending. Yeah. And so I've started putting my book on top of my cell phone, right? I have my cell phone charging and now I've putting my book on top of my cell phone so that when I go to get my cell phone in those moments of like, oh, I've got five minutes, let me see what's going on. I remember to pick up the book instead. Mm, nice. I love it. So yeah. yes. So that's like those little changes can make a big difference. Yeah. And so, yeah, these children. Viewing that love and, and pleasure in reading. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's, you know, and just like reading, but they just see it on the phone. They don't see. Yeah. They don't see a book and they don't see you engrossed in, mm. in a book, right. With a pencil and underlining. And, you know, not, now she asked me why I write in my books. <laughs> so now I have to, you know, explain that one. one. Isn't it? Well, why are you yeah. allowed to write in your book, mama? But right. I'm not. I'm like, right. that's a really good question. Let me come back to you on that one. Exactly. Olivia me up on that recently why have you written in your book we're not allowed to do that okay exactly so. if you've got a good answer for that one let me know <laughs> yes working on that one yeah i mean i think just showing them right the the notes yeah. that you're taking are the important parts mm -hmm. and uh you know and yeah and you know say i i would never do this to a library book and 
you know, yeah. also, you yeah, know, yeah. Maybe, maybe giving them the freedom to do that with one of their books, right? If there's interesting words that you want to underline with a pencil, you know, allowing them to do that. I, I think yeah. we, they, they really force us to, to analyze what we do. Yeah. Right. And, and analyze uh, at the ground rules, you know, what, yes, exactly. why, are we, the, why are we keeping, why are we imposing this ground rule if we're not actually adhering it to ourselves? Exactly. If, if we sitting down whilst eating, you know, that's a big yeah. thing. It's like, mama, well, you're standing up and eating that biscuit. Oh yeah, you're right. I am. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a family agreement that we all sit down to eat, but there's me wandering around yes. eating whilst I'm <laughs> telling everyone about the family agreement. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely i know it's it's terrible and i think you know we we do it um you know we don't do it out of spite or, or malice right we do it because part of us wants to have that picture of of perfection and discipline and everything and then there's the yeah. other part of us that's just like i can't <laughs> i can't i can't be perfect i need to just Eat a piece of pie from the fridge so <laughs> so true um that's great thank you um and question six is um when was the last time a child caught you out of integrity and questioned you on it oh yes well again my six-year-old she is you know she's she's entering the sensitive period or the sensitivity for, for morality, right. In the second plane. And so she is, she is on it. <laughs> she is on it and she's fearless about questioning me, which is good. Right. I'm, I'm really happy about that. I, <clears throat> I think I was too strict and too, too, um, uh, intransigent with my first child, uh, you know, poor first children, they always get the brunt of our mistakes. And so I'm really happy to see that my second child is so outspoken. Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing that happens that, that she called me out on was that whenever she asks me to play with her or, you know, to do something with her, to push her on the tire swing or whatever, um, I always, I say, yes, but I always say, let me do this other thing first. Right. And, and then she gets really irritated. You know, she says like, oh, that, you know, you always do something else first and you always make me wait. And that's not fair. Um, and at, at first I thought it was, you know, I started thinking about like, well, why am I doing this? Um, and at first I thought, well, it's because I'm so busy and I have such a long to-do list. And so I know I'm going to be busy with my child for a while. So let me just get something off my to-do list. Right. But the reality, and I've worked through this in therapy, therapy really allowed me to, to see this in myself. The reality is that there is a part of me that, that is like that child that wants to be put first, that child whose needs want to come first, right? And, and doesn't want to put mm -hmm. aside her needs to attend to the needs of somebody else. And when you're a parent, especially when you're in a homeschooling setting, you're always putting other people's needs first. And so her request is a reminder to my kind of wounded child, mm -hmm that it actually exists. And so that's the moment when that child's like, no, wait a second. I also want to be put first. And so I've taken my, my daughter's requests as an opportunity to validate my inner child's need to be taken into account and to say, you know what? Yes, there will be time for you. 
it's okay. I see you. There will be time for you. And that is allowing me to just say yes, without any conditioning, you know, without, without any condition, without any, like, let me do this first. Let me switch the laundry first. Let me make a coffee first. You know, um, it, it allows me to stay more present because I can take care of the child that's within me. So, so it's been a, a, a big gift, but it really took her getting angry and speaking out for me to see what was inside of me. That is so beautiful, Pilar, and so thought-provoking. Thank you. That's really, really, really wonderful. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot, a lot of people. Um, as you say, you know, the inner child work is just transformative in itself. Um, and in, in, in my own journey, if I share my experience, and I have the same with Olivia and Harry, and, and, I, and I noticed because Olivia drew my attention to it, that if Harry asked for something, I would go almost immediately. But if she asked for something, I would say, let me just do this first. And that's been, and I'm still unpicking that. And I think I probably know what's, what's, what's underneath it, but it's very, very interesting. As you say, when we can observe and then start to pay attention and, and, and take care of, of, of our inner child, then it, it just, it just changes everything. It changes yeah. our relationship with ourselves. It changes our relationship with our children. And it changes the way we interact with the outside world because we're not becoming irritated with everyone doing their own thing. And everyone is operating from their inner child to a certain extent. But if we can give our inner child what she needs, then when we go out into the real world and people are getting annoyed with each other and people are cutting in in the traffic and people are making you wait at the petrol station and people do get your order wrong then then your inner child isn't running the show as much because you can just see that everyone else is just running around as wounded children as well and it's okay because you're looking after yourself exactly yeah. absolutely absolutely and and that is the gift that our children can give us if we're willing to look past our um are, are rationalizing, right? Um, because we can stay at the level of like, well, I'm busy and I have a lot to do. And if I'm going to be stuck pushing you on the tire swing for half an hour, then at least let me get this done, right? We can just stay at that level. And for some of us, that's where we are and, and that's okay. But when we're ready to dig deeper, the gifts that we can receive when we're ready to dig deeper are can be so transformative. And yes, like you said, you know, they can, they can allow us to be so compassionate, so much more compassionate um, in just in our daily lives with other people, because yeah, we're all going through, we're all going through this together. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. That was it's just yeah. such a, a reflective answer. Thank you. Um, and so um, I'm not sure this, this next question kind of quite fits given our conversation, but um, mm -hmm. how, question seven would be, how did you explain yourself when, when you were out of integrity? You know, I've, I've found that the best explanation is just to 
to model doing things differently. And, and so I normally just say, you know, if the child is right. And if, you know, if, 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 if there isn't like a, a misperception on the part of the child, because that is true too, right? They're, they're six, they're four, they're, you know, they have a different perspective of, of the world than, than you do. And so, so sometimes you do have to just explain like, oh, well, you know, I was actually doing this because this needed to be done X, Y, Z. Right. But when your child calls you out and and you have the fortitude to, to really dig inside and, and see what's going on, just a simple, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and then modeling a different way of doing things. Right. I, I think is more powerful than, than mm-hmm. empty words. So, yeah. so that's what I've found kind of works um, to keep me honest with my children is, is focusing on, on changing my actions in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. So. Once we've had it um, shown to us so clearly by our children, it's just easier, isn't it? Just uh, we've, yeah. We know it's there, we know what's there, and we know what work we need to do, essentially. Um, Absolutely. And then I think that's the, the wonderful thing about having that connection with your child and, and that love that you have with your child is that we don't want to hurt them, right? And so when they're showing us these parts of ourselves, um, that love allows us to, to say, yes, this is something that I commit to working on. Right. And, and not just shoving it aside, you know, because it's uncomfortable. So true. So true. I love it. Thank you. So question eight is a tricky one because it is, what is your favorite Dr. Montessori quote? Yeah. Very, very Uh, tricky. At this moment in time, because it might change. right? Right. Well, I actually found this quote years ago when I was starting, I think it was my second blog and it's, uh, the child's parents are not his makers, but his guardians. Mm. And I find that that kind of takes a lot of pressure off, right? Because, and it goes back to this idea that we were talking about at first, that there's this inner guide, right? And there's nature, um, co-parenting with you, right? Co-guiding the child. Um, and so we are just entrusted with taking care of this being that came through us, but is not ours. We didn't make it, make the child, right? Consciously, it was, yeah. they are a creation of nature, of God, of the universe, of source, of whatever you want to call it. Um, and we're just here entrusted to guard their development. And, um, and then eventually they're going to move on. Right. And yeah, I love that. And which book is that from? I honestly don't know. Um, I've like, I know I saw it in a book years ago when I first, uh, when I first, uh, read it and I put it at the top of my blog because it was, it just resonated so much with me, but I honestly don't know which one, which one it comes from. It's beautiful. So yeah. Lovely. It reminds me of that, um, Halil Gibran poem. Um, you know, your children are not your children. 
Uh, that one is just so gorgeous, isn't it? It's- exactly. Exactly. And it's such a, a um, yeah, it aligns so well with, with the same idea. You know, we didn't make them. We're just yeah. here to take care of them and hopefully not mess yeah. them up too much. Yeah, and, uh, guide them on their path. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. yeah. And we're just here to be models of what it's like to be an imperfectly perfect human being, right? We're just models of what it's like to go through life with its ups and downs, with its joys and sorrows. And so this idea that we have to be perfect or that we have to make them perfect is, this is obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's destructive at its worst, right? It's, it's really flawed. And um, in, in episode four, when I was speaking to Trisha Mokino of, of the Keras tribe, she talked about this on, um, and how it is a very um, colonialist thinking, actually, of this ridiculous, unattainable idea of, of perfection. Um, and in the question about integrity in question six, she said, you know, within within the culture, it's it, it, the elders will say, I don't know everything. This is what I know in this point in time. And as you said, the imperfect perfection is actually celebrated. There isn't this, this ludicrous pressure that, that, that we have in the Western world to, to um, I guess, put the mask on, put the ego that we're perfect and it's it's, as you say, it's just nonsense when we think about it. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's so destructive Yeah, um, really and then limiting, right? It yeah. really limits limits creativity and absolutely. Yeah. And limits love, you know, because oh, we can't be really open. How on earth can our hearts open if we're just watching the whole time for, you know, how are people seeing me or what are they going to think of me? Or, you know, yeah, it's, it's, we, can't, we can't fully open in any sense, can we? In any sense, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So Pilar, for question nine, I would love to know, what is your deepest desire for Montessori for the future? Ah, well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? I, I, I would love for it to just be a birthright for children and parents and adults in general, because you know we, we come into contact with children in, in so many different ways. Uh, way. So even if you're not a parent, uh, knowing, understanding this, this new perspective or this different perspective on, on children, um, can be transformative for all of society. And, and so I, I'd love, I don't, I've always thought of, well, what if it didn't have a name? What if it didn't have the name Montessori, right? What if, how, how can it, because the name, I mean, the name defines it, right? And so I use it because that's how I know people will find it, right? Yeah. People are looking for it, but the name limits it too, mm. because yeah. in, in the, <clears throat> in the way that Montessori is perceived, you know, it, uh, it's so limiting. It's perceived as materials and, you know, as, as these cute little shelves with yeah. little themes and little yeah. trinkets and, and yeah. yeah and inaccessible because it's just yes. um affluent middle-class white people yes. absolutely so, it, so um excludes a huge 
part if we look at it as you say just at that name yeah absolutely yeah. and so and so it's a catch-22 because you know mm. without the name how do you define it but with the name um you limit it right so so that's what yeah yeah so that's what I would love for for Montessori to become right I would love for it to be normalized as as a path of growth for adults and children um as a way to respect children and empower adults yeah um, and, and just you know just as as principles for living um, yeah. for 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 living alongside because i think also uh, you know Montessori has the, the 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 planes of development but but she could have gone farther right and i think anybody who has moved through early adulthood and into their you know 30s and 40s realizes that we go through more stages right <laughs> And, early 40s and, oh my goodness that was yes. a wild ride wasn't it right oh my gosh yes <laughs> yes and 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 it has this kind of you know this same uh pattern as yeah. as you see you know in 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 early childhood and and through adolescence and everything and so um wouldn't it be wonderful to continue that study of planes of development to help adults understand themselves better, mm-hmm. right? Using these same principles. The principles are universal and the principles are timeless, right? They 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 follow the child through into adulthood. Um, but how fascinating for people to be able to see themselves in these planes and to better understand themselves. Yeah. So so that would be really fun. Yeah. I love that. As you say, is there it, it to be so the norm that you don't actually have to use the name? That would be so amazing. Like, you know, that when you were saying that, the thing that sprung to mind to me, which is going to sound really bizarre, but do you remember when Prince was like at the height of his fame and like he wasn't called Prince anymore? He was the symbol. Just the symbol, yeah. And everyone, because yeah. he was so... It was so incredible in everything that he did. He didn't actually need a name anymore. This is what we, this is a really bizarre parallel to draw, but this is going to mind. We're like, you know, the Montessori movement is like Prince, you know? It's like, you don't need to, you shouldn't need to, to, to give it a name or a label because it should just be, everyone knows what it is. Um, but what I find with the parents I, I work with is, um, lots of them will say well you know where are the parallels or this sounds like conscious parenting where are the parallels with conscious parenting and i'm like well it's it's basically the same but just you know dr shafali writes it in a in a more modern way basically is the is sort of largely the when we're talking about the parenting side of montessori it's being aware that our child is our is our teacher and 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 we need to remove the ego in order to see who the child is they really are um and and so you're right it's it can become i think universal and the norm but i maybe we just need to give it a different title so that it seems more accessible to to people um yeah i mean i think what would be wonderful is if if we didn't um if we didn't even have to worry about what to call it 
right? Mm-hmm. If, if it were just common knowledge, if it were just uh, truth, right? Because it is. And what's so powerful about Montessori is that, about the principles is that they come from observation, right? And, yeah. and there have been many educational theories that come from somebody's idea of how things should be. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they're very honorable, right? They're all people who wanted to change the world for the better yeah. and, and to help children, but to have principles that come from pure observation, right? It, it makes it so that we shouldn't even have to call it anything. Yeah. Um, all we need to do, like, it's really quite simple. All we need to do is help people see it in their children, right? Uh, Unfortunately, you know, in in our society, commercialist society, everything has to have a label. Everything has to have a, a name for it to be considered valid and acceptable um, and for people to embrace it. And so that's what's kept the name Montessori, you know, attached to it. And again, that's also what limits it. So, so I think just, you know, keep, keep writing, keep speaking, um, and, and keep sharing. And, and yeah, I think as parents embrace these ideas, they, they will become more mainstream. We all want to better understand our children. We all want an approach that allows us to be more human. And, uh, and these principles, yeah. yeah, And this, these principles. Yeah. Yeah. A more, a more peaceful and harmonious world. And there's no one that can argue. Would you like a more peaceful and harmonious world? Everyone wants that this, okay. This is the path to do that. And call it Montessori or you don't need to call it Montessori, but this is what what we're doing. Would you, do you want to? Yeah. No, I love that. And, um, I love how you said that it's just, it's pure observation. It's not based on someone else's opinion. And that was the whole, and we circled, well, circling back to what we said at the beginning, it's Dr. Montessori's gift that she gave us was that everyone has the power to see this within their child and with everyone else's child. It's not, it's nothing more than observation. We don't need to do a course or our children to go to Montessori school. Um, We can, the child tells us everything we need to know and, and, that's what, that's what the gift is. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's really wild is that the whole idea of normalization, right? Dr. Montessori in in the absorbent mind, she writes that normalization was the most important result of her work, right? It was a result. She didn't set out to normalize children. It normalization happened. Yeah. Yeah. Normalization happened. She observed it when, as she made little changes to the environment, to the preparation of the adults, um, all of that led to the normalization of, of the children. And we are constantly taking the opposite approach. Um, you know, when I was talking about working at schools, there was this, this push towards normalization. 
it was, you know, your classroom needs to be normalized by November. So then normalization becomes an extrinsic goal, right? Yeah. It, it, it becomes something to push the children towards mm-hmm. as opposed to a phenomenon that occurs yeah. when all the conditions are right. So, so it's, it's, it's our, you know, just, just like we try to manipulate everything in life, you know, we try to manipulate birth. We try to manipulate health. We try, Mm. you know, we try to manipulate children. And, um, and one of the things that I would love to see is for schools and, and heads of schools and guides to, and, and, and parents, you know, once they understand this, this process to see normalization as something that is reached, not something that is created, you know, something that yeah. is, is, is artificially forged. Yeah. Sort um, as an outcome. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, and because because that's where all the the no's start right like no you shouldn't do this because this is not what's going to lead to normalization and you shouldn't do this other thing because you know as opposed to just creating conditions and allowing it to happen and i think it when we read the text we can become confused about that we're we're looking for signs of normalization when we should just let be letting our children be children and actually i had a message from one of my um clients today who I'm working with and her daughter is 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 four and she was saying about how um, we were talking because her daughter doesn't want to do things or activities with her at home she just wants to do play and I was like well let her play she just needs to play and uh and she said oh you know you really transformed my my view of this because I was looking for normalization and I was getting so angry and frustrated because I wanted normalization she just wanted to do pretend play um and then it becomes another unattainable and an unhealthy goal and when and then also normalization can be misinterpreted that as a child who never has a tantrum you know it's this 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 obedient wonder child who never has a tantrum or you know which is just so or never is rude or behaves and never spits all these things oh, harry's going through a spitting stage at the moment oh love is, it like do you remember that stage with your son yes. it's just like and it sends you into like a different stratosphere yes. of like your conditioning of how you responded to when, when you spat as a child and I'm like sometimes I just don't know what to do because I think I'm going to come out with the wrong with the wrong response here so I just have to just do nothing yeah. um it's so interesting isn't it and it's well it, you can't be normalized if you're spitting and you think right <laughs> yeah no and I think you know two things one normalization is not it's not constant it's not you know it's not solid like there there are ebbs and flows and there are things that happen in a child's life that will shift them into you know into a state of normalization or out of a state of normalization normalization is a state right i'm just like you're in a state of health or a state of of illness and it goes back and forth well the same thing happens with with the child um with normalization and I think that it was interesting that, that you used the phrase looking for signs of normalization mm. when what we 
really ought to be doing is looking for signs of sensitive periods and human tendencies, right? Because when we guide and support those sensitive periods and those human tendencies, the result becomes normalization, right? Without us focusing on normalization. So it's like, we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on the, the end when what we should be focusing yeah. is, is on the conditions yeah. that will, that will naturally lead the child towards, yeah. towards that, that, you know, higher state of being. Yeah. I'm so glad we had, I'm so glad we went off on this tangent about normalization. It's brilliant because as yeah, you say, one of my favorite topics, yeah. if we look, if we look for signs of normalization, then we're almost setting our child up to fail, aren't we? We're almost, it's a test, isn't it? It's like, you know, can it's I digging up the wrong? seeds? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's digging up to the seeds exactly, to see yeah. if they're growing and what do you do? You kill them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. Um, and so question 10, not that I want this interview to end, but question 10 is our last one is what do you see is your role in achieving your deepest desire for Montessori? Um, I think what, what has really been speaking to me has been to lead through example and yeah. By that, I don't mean, you know, be the perfect shining example of Montessori, but quite the contrary. I share my struggles, you know, um, talk about how I work on myself, um, speak about and, and share some of my children's uh, opportunities for growth and the things they're yeah. discovering and their, their own struggles. I, because... I really think that's the only way that, that the people who are not, who have a misperception of Montessori as this kind of perfect, you know, um, pristine little, little method, right. Of, of teaching children. I think that's how they can connect more with Montessori. If they see, oh, okay, there's, here's this person that has been immersed in Montessori all their lives. And, you know, they still have a messy kitchen and they still get angry and they still mess up the lesson and they're still cutting yeah. materials while, you know, while setting up the, the lesson, like yeah. all of yeah. this, this, this messiness, then they, then they can say, okay, maybe Montessori is for me, right? Maybe these principles are something I can embrace. I mm -hmm. um, And so letting go of that perfection being vulnerable. Um, being vulnerable, letting go of that image that social media wants you to have, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is what I strive for. And I've found that it resonates with parents who are ready to do the work. Right. So, so that's kind of my goal right now, um, is to just be myself and, and help others know that there are many ways to Montessori, right? <laughs> there are, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's been quite the journey so far. I can imagine that is, that is so lovely, Pilar. What a way to finish. Thank you. And, um, sharing the, um, magic in the ordinary, 
of um, of our lives. That's actually one of my affirmations. Um, and that's what I see in what you share is you just show the magic in the ordinary because it's this is what daily life is like and and this is as you say the messy bits and the vulnerable bits and the bits where I get it wrong and then these are the amazing moments as well when we you know play on the tire swing and climb trees and but it's all part of the the realness and the rawness of it and I and I think it, that you're right that's why it's of such value for parents because they see it resonates yeah this might yeah. be for me it's, I don't need to be perfect and I don't need to be a super mummy and I don't need to or super daddy and I you know I can I can have a messy kitchen yeah absolutely and you know I never thought that I would work with parents like that when I was working with children in the classroom that was my biggest struggle was working with parents because I think this whole like parent child teacher triangle can be yeah. extremely messy um but now that I'm working with parents without the mm. children um yeah. it's been so fascinating to see you know like I said like they're going through their own planes of development as parents they're going they have their sensitive periods um and so to be able to guide them um it it's very reflective of you know how in the classroom oftentimes children learn better from other children than they do from the adult right because the child the older child has just walked that path so mm -hmm. it's it's fresh. It's, it's approachable. The child, the, the younger child can see, well, you know, they just did it. So now I know that I'll be able to do it. Um, and so that's how I see, you know, your role and my role as kind of, you know, parents who are walking maybe one step ahead, um, and just modeling and, and sharing with the parents that, that are ready yeah it's oh, so lovely yeah thank you so much pilar and what would you like to share with us um about what you're doing at the moment um what's close to your heart at the moment you'd like to share oh gosh well we so yes thank you so um my online membership community is the montessori homeschool hub and we are launching, um, it's, it's been around for over a year. So we're about a year and a half. And so mm -hmm. we're going into this new school year. And so I'm really excited about that because we have a beautiful online community with parents, mostly moms who are homeschooling and they love to share what's going on in their lives. And together we kind of normalize this, this kind of crazy, adventure yeah. that we're all on. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see everything that, that parents are going to be bringing into the hub. It's, it's obviously, you know, me teaching and sharing, but it's also parents, um, reflecting back the, um, the, uh, what's the word? I lost the word. You know, they, they, they reflect back the, um, the good things that the, the gifts that come out of putting in the work, you know, so, so it's so lovely to see that. Um, 
And I also have, I know a lot of parents are saying, you know, I, I need curriculum and, uh, you know, what am I going to do without curriculum? But those albums can be so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on my website, I have the, the timeline and, you know, parents can go on the website at mainlymontessori.com. And there are tons of resources there. There's free videos, free downloads, uh, membership. Um, there's a Facebook group, a free Facebook group, Second Plane Montessori, where I share with parents or, and, and lots of other Montessorians share with parents and, and with each other, um, how to better understand our second plane children and how to better support them. So there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. And finally, you know, the retreat that you were talking about that we just finished, um, I'm going to be making it available for purchase on the website coming in September. And so if you missed it over the summer, but you want to get Uh, all of that goodness, uh, Mm. the eight weeks of videos and the eight recorded group calls, plus all the downloads and and, uh, the workbook and everything. um, It's all going to be available as of September and on the website. So, so all of that. And I can vouch for it's, there's so much, it's a, it's a goldmine of information. um, Pilar's uh, website and, um, and within the hub and within the retreat so yeah I can't recommend it highly enough really and and it's um it's really 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 of so much value so definitely mainly montessori.com go and check it out everyone it's yeah I highly highly recommend it thank you thank you it's all it's been a labor of love and it's it's evolved into something beyond my wildest dreams and so I'm just excited and grateful for everybody that's coming along on this ride with me it's amazing Pilar, thank you so much for answering all of our 10 questions today. And um, this is episode seven of the Montessori Mission. And we'll be um, looking forward to the book that's coming out of the Montessori Mission, which um, is scheduled for November, if I can draw everything together in time, which is a big project. bigger than I could have imagined, but it's really, really exciting. And, and I think it's the, the right time to do so. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast and then the bigger, the bigger, the bigger picture as well for the book. Thank you. And um, thank you all everyone for joining me um, and Pilar today. And um, looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Montessori Mission, 10 Montessorians, 10 questions, 10 perspectives from 10 different communities. Pilar has been our homeschooling Montessori champion for this episode. And um, thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. And I'll speak to you very soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, Pilar. Bye-bye. Bye.